Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church, and we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. Good morning. How are you this morning? It's a privilege to welcome you to Logos. If you're new here to Logos, first of all, we want to say thank you. Thank you for trying a new place with new people. And so we want to just say welcome to you. We want to want to know that you were here. We want to connect with you. And so the best way to do that is for you to go online. You can do that even right now. If you have a phone or a tablet, you can go to fbcsa.org slash connect, and you can just let us know that you were here. Uh, We treasure the fact that you were here. We don't think it's an accident, and we want to be intentional about connecting with you and letting you know what's happening in the life of this church and how we're reaching this community and, and really reaching the nations with the gospel. And so if you would do that, that would just be your gift to us, and we're really glad that you're here. I want to also say a word of welcome to everyone. We've prayed for you today. We've prayed that you would sense and feel the Lord's nearness, his Holy Spirit, his presence. And these are are intense sermons and Bible studies as we work our way through Job, and you'll, you'll hear some of that in just a minute. But we want you to feel God near, even in times of of lament, in times of of struggle with, with our emotions. We want you to feel at home in this hour and in these in these moments. And so we say a special word of welcome to you. Uh, if you if you missed the, the beginning video, my name is Scott Lane. I'm one of the one of the pastors here at First Baptist Church. Our regular preaching pastor, Danny Panter, is is out. He's out with his family and actually he's he's out with several families of our church and they've traveled to uh, Nairobi, Kenya. And they're doing mission work, and they left on Thursday, safely arrived uh, Saturday. And so late last night, I texted him, and I just said, you know, we've been praying for you. Can you give us a report, or is there a report that you would want to give us? And so his immediate first one-word response was, yes, with an exclamation point. So I'll just, I'll just read you this. And this will let you know how you can pray for him and, and our team of missionaries and families as they serve this week. By the time you worship today, we would have already spent the day worshiping with our sister church, Tagoni Baptist Church, three hours in worship, Sunday school and small groups in the afternoon. There is so much joy and gladness to be together, bound together in Jesus, separated by a vast ocean. We have such a huge privilege to see God at work in and through his church here. What a blessing. 
Pray for our work in the tea villages, which begins tomorrow, and with the Maasai community that we'll visit on Thursday. Pray that we faithfully tell the story of Jesus and that we bear witness. And so we'll do that. Just encourage you to do that this week. Encourage you as as God brings him and those other families and church members to your mind. Just pause and pray. Ask God to bless them to to bear fruit of their their time and their energy, their sacrifice, and their ministry, that God would would honor that. And so uh, as Jimmy talked about, uh, last Sunday we started a 13-week study and sermon series through the book of Job. Uh, some reminders just to kind of go back if you were out last week or just to make sure that we're all caught up and starting on the same, same page from the same reference point. Uh, the book of Job is considered by many to be rich, deep, but it's also heavy. Uh, as Danny noted last week, it's grouped with the wisdom books, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. Those books largely address and reference human struggles and real life experiences. And so as we look at Job and as we read those books of the Bible, they often hit close to home. Uh, These books will stimulate our imaginations, it'll inform our intellect and capture our emotions. Because the book of Job is both prose and poetry, we'll likely feel deeply when we read and study this book. as you come to church, there will be emotions. You will feel that. And, and today will be a good example of that. You should expect, you should anticipate fear, anger, angst, confusion, not only from Job, but within your own heart. As you walk through this with Job, you'll, you'll feel those things. There are hard theological questions in the book of Job. That, that just kind of bubble up as he goes through his life and his narrative that we, that we study. We'll consider and probably wrestle with the themes of human suffering and God's sovereignty. And so, hang on. The next 11 weeks could be intense and engaging, to say the least. And so, reviewing, as we review last week... Um, we, we just looked at the first 12 verses of that uh, opening scene or opening chapter. It's, it's the narrative of Job's life, this, this whole book, this 42 chapters. In the first verse of the first chapter, the writer wants to introduce us to Job. And from our reading and study last week and this week, I, I, I would describe Job as blameless, not sinless. So he's blameless. You'll hear that word a few times in our, in our sermon time today. You'll hear that word blameless. But I also want to point out that he was not sinless. Job was very aware of his own faults, his own flaws, his own tendencies to, to give in to temptation and stress and sin. You read that in, that in those first verses because he frequently lives out confession and repentance from sin through burnt offerings. We're also told that Job has an active faith. It's not static. It's something that he is engaged in, he's motivated by. And that he genuinely pursues God and runs from evil. He does both. Job is the wealthiest man in the region, owning thousands of sheep and camels, hundreds of oxen and donkeys. He has farmhands, servants, and shepherds. 
The writer tells us that Job has complete integrity. No one has or no one could possibly question him morally or ethically. You think about Job, he comes across as likable, approachable, admirable. He's a family man, deeply loves and leads and cares for his 10 children so that they might also please and serve God. Honestly, if we're thinking about Job, he's, he's a person that most of us would want to be around. If he was sitting up front, everybody would be sitting up front. If he was at a party, everybody would be talking to him. He just it's the guy you want to be around. He was a mover and a shaker, but yet there was something extra about him. This, this quality of, of, of integrity, of blamelessness, of, of a walk with God that's just contagious. And so it's somebody that we'd want to be around, but better yet, I think, it's somebody that we'd want to be. You identifying with Job? In this opening scene, we're also privy to a heavenly council meeting in which Satan is in attendance. Interestingly enough, God draws Satan's attention to Job. And he begins to describe Job to Satan. He says, have you considered Satan? I mean, have you considered Job? And he says the same language that the writer says. He's blameless. And he has complete integrity. And to that statement, Satan accuses Job of having an insincere faith because God has richly blessed him. In other words, what Satan says is, it's easy for Job to have that kind of faith. You've taken care of him. You've blessed him. You've been kind to him. If you take that away, Job will curse you. Then we're told that God gives permission slash instruction for Job to be tested. Now, I want to be careful. I want you to notice that God is in control. God is in control. The word is sovereignty. This is not God being backed into a corner or being manipulated or engaging in some sort of cosmic bet. That's not what's happening. In fact, what we learn from Scripture in other places is that God does permit testing and trials throughout Scripture. If you look in Matthew chapter 4, Scripture tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, guides and leads Jesus toward and into the tempting. And what we understand is this, this is all part of God's plan for his glory and our good. In Job's narrative, God is still sovereign. How do we know? Well, let me just give you a, a couple of observations about the first part, just, just so you can have that mindset, God's sovereignty. One indication is because Satan obeys God's instructions. Satan does what God gave him permission to do and nothing more. God drew the line, and Satan goes to the line, but he doesn't cross the line because God is in control. God is greater. God is in charge. God is sovereign. 
And so now we come to our reverse text for this morning. It picks up right where we left off last week. That heavenly scene, Satan leaves to go do his business. And scene two picks up back on earth. Literally back on earth. Specifically, Job's house. And as we look and process scene two this morning, I'll ask you to stand with me as we read a small portion of the end of our reverse text. So if you'll stand, we're going to ask you to look at the screens today. The version that's in your bulletin is a different version that's going to be on the screen. So let's all look and read from the same, the same text. We'll start in verse 20 and go through 22. You ready? Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. You can be seated. Do you already feel the shock, the grief, and the pain by the verses we just read, Job's reaction? What on earth is happening that would cause that kind of reaction? Well, we're going to find out. I don't want to skim over these verses of tragedy and destruction. The events in verses 13 through 19 will form a backdrop And it's going to give us vitally important context for the next 41 chapters and the next 11 weeks of our study. So we need to sit in these verses that we can walk with Job as he processes and navigates. Now, I'm going to do something that most preachers and teachers tell you not to do. I'm going to tell you not to read your Bible, kind of. Don't read ahead. No spoiler alerts in this study. If you'll walk with Job in these moments, I think you'll get a better picture of who Job is and a much better picture of who God is. And so be patient as you read. So yes, read your Bible, obviously, but don't work ahead. Stay in these verses. Stay on track with this reverse study that we're in for the next 11 weeks. And I think on the other side, it's going to be a beautiful thing. It'll be a great, great experience. So like Danny did last week, I want to read these verses over you. Remember the tradition of scripture first, these, these original listeners would have heard these words, not, not read them. And so I want to do that. So will you listen? Maybe you'll close your eyes. Maybe you'll just drown out all the distractions, the disruptions. Will you hear what is happening to Job? I think it's important that we feel the weight and the devastation in these verses and understand that his life gets completely shattered. Let me read to you. Verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. 
While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed, and all your children are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. So, what do you say? What do you think? Job, the richest and wealthiest man in the region, has gone from riches to rags in a matter of moments. Oxen, donkeys, farmhands, gone. Sheep and shepherds, gone. Camels and servants, gone. And maybe if there was a comma in the scene and in the text, you could... At some level, you could fight your way through these first reports, but within those same minutes of devastating news, he's also told that his precious children have died, all 10. The ones whom we're told he prays for and makes sacrifices and burn offerings over, gone. No opportunity to process, ask questions to clarify, nothing. One report right after the other. And then he's left to be on his own with this horrific news. Where do you even begin? How do you go about processing? I do think it's worth noting to kind of to look at the reports just in, in this way. Two of the tragedies were human terrorist attacks. They were human. So maybe you could rationalize in your mind, well, people are bad. War happens, struggle happens, that, that, that kind of stuff happens. I, okay, yeah, so, so half of these, maybe I can begin to wrap my mind around. But two, lightning and a tornado were natural disasters. If you're in the insurance business, you call them acts of God. So all of a sudden it becomes clear to us and in Job's mind, there's no getting around the notion that this didn't happen without God's awareness at some level. Wow. So are you ready to weep with Job? Are you ready to grieve with Job? Let's look, let's look at his reaction. Look at verse 20. Job stood up. One of the things I love about scripture is it tells real stories about real people. And if you and I had had that kind of news, it would have knocked us off our feet. You don't take that news standing up. You take it sitting down or lying down. And that's exactly what happened to Job. Job stood up. He tore his robe in grief Then he shaved his head. 
Job did what we would expect him to do culturally. If we had been living in those patriarchal, that patriarchal period, that's exactly what grieving people did. Tore his robe, shaved his head. The robe was an outer garment worn over a tunic by people of influence and affluence. It was a special robe. It was a significant robe. It told people without even knowing who Job was or, or understanding who he was that he was significant. It was a sign that he tore it. it was a sign of his acknowledgement of the loss of all his riches and wealth but it was also a symbol of the pain that was tearing his heart apart. In that same cultural way, shaving the head was also seen as an indicator to the beginning of a long period of deep mourning and probably a visual reminder to him and everybody else that he was dealing and identifying with death, the death of his children. His reaction was real and it was raw. For, some, for someone living in that era, it's exactly what we would expect. But even more, it's probably what we would have done. But then he does something remarkable. Look again at verse 20. He falls to the ground in worship. He worships God. Fresh with pain, sadness, and sorrow, all still Bubbling in his heart, he worships. I want to point out and encourage you this morning, God is not intimidated or made uncomfortable with our pain or our sorrow or our questions. He actually draws closer to us in these moments. Psalm 46 says, God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He moves closer. Remember in the Gospels when Lazarus dies, his sister had sent for him previously, a few days before, and Jesus doesn't come, and he's late, and Lazarus is already dead, and she runs to meet him, not because she's glad to see him, per se. She has questions. If you had been here, why didn't you come? Why didn't you keep this from happening? And I want to point out that Jesus never rebukes or reprimands her for her honesty, her sharing her heart, her disappointment and grief with those questions. So what can we learn from Job's reaction? Are there any takeaways this morning that would help us grow in our faith and give us any kind of hope or guidance when we face pain and suffering? Well, first of all, I want to point out that Job's reaction is shaped by his worldview. It's shaped by his worldview. We would call it a biblical worldview. And we could spend a whole sermon, we could spend a whole series talking about biblical worldview. I don't want to oversimplify that, but I just want to look at Job's reaction and give you a definition, give you really two words that describe his worldview that I think would be helpful to us. You ready? Sovereignty and intimacy. Look at Hebrews 11, three. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we, what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. 
throughout Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, we're told that God is the sovereign creator and the sustainer of the universe, including everything and everyone in it, and he desires an intimate relationship with human beings. God's sovereignty, Danny defined it last week, put it in another word, he used governance, okay, is directly connected to his unchanging nature and character. Always just, always holy, always wise, always acting for God's glory and our good. Look at Job's words in verse 21. The Lord gave me what I have and the Lord has taken it away. He uses the same word, the same name for God on either side of that statement. And those are different, completely different statements. Maybe for the first part, if we were saying that first statement, maybe we would say a kind, loving, and gracious God has blessed us. And that would be accurate. And that would be true. But because of a biblical worldview, we know that God's sovereignty and governance is connected to his nature and character that never change we would also have to say a loving and kind and gracious God has taken everything away from me. Hard to think, even harder to say, which Job did. But that reciprocal side has to be the same within a biblical worldview. Let's be honest. Anybody ready or willing to say that? Yet Job does. Same God, same name, same character, different actions. In Job's mind and heart, God hasn't changed. That's mind-boggling. Sovereignty. Not only that, but remember from our earlier studies, our earlier reverse studies, we studied the Ten Commandments and we studied the book of Judges. The name that that Job uses Lord, capital L, small caps, O-R-D, is the personal and relational name of God, Yahweh. That's the name Job uses. Praise the name of the Lord, he says in scripture. Other translations say, blessed be the name of the Lord. In his worship and declaration, within his pain and suffering, Job is declaring the sovereignty of God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. And he's also declaring his intimacy with God, with Yahweh. He is the God I know and love. And he is the God who knows me and loves me. It makes sense, doesn't it, in our heads? But what about in our hearts where emotions Feelings have influence. There's shock and anger and questions, and they can distract and disrupt us. They can confuse and cause disbelief. In this narrative, we can also learn from Job how we can strengthen our trust and faith in God, even in the midst of trial and tragedy. Look way back at verse 5, chapter 1. We get a, we get a hint. It said this, He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. This is his children. This was Job's regular practice. In verse 8, 
God describes Job as blameless. Now, it's one thing for the writer to describe Job as blameless, but it's a completely different thing for God to describe Job as blameless. Why? Because there's only one way you get to be blameless in front of God. There has to be a sacrifice. Old Testament, there has to be a burnt offering. There has to be repentance. And so we know that Job did that for his children, but for God to call him blameless, we also know that Job was in a regular pattern, frequently, regular practice of doing that for himself. I believe Job had regular times of worship centered around repentance, faithfully and consistently. His worldview or faith was strengthened by his rhythms, which shaped his reaction to the loss and destruction he he experienced. Job did what he knew to do, what he had done frequently and faithfully. He worshiped God. He kept those rhythms It's the same truth Paul shares with Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7. He says, train yourself to be godly. Rhythm, exercise, regular. Train yourself to be godly. And that's exactly what was happening in Job's life. Our faith can be formed and grown as much by regular rhythms and disciplines as by feelings and experiences. Let me say that again. Our faith, our worldview, can be formed and grown as much by regular rhythms and disciplines as by feelings and experiences. So I gotta ask this morning, what regular rhythms are in place in your life that cause your worldview or your faith and trust in God to be strengthened? Are there regular practices that you have in your life, those rhythms like Job, that you could point to and say, that's where that came from. That's how it helped me, those things. Can I, can I just suggest just a few this morning? Gathered worship is one. You being here faithfully, regularly with other believers is a rhythm that will do that. Personal worship is important. Prayer. Personal and small group Bible study where you hear God's word, but you also hear God's word through the lens and the heart and the spirit speaking through other believers. Serving others, just to name a few. One of the things that that the staff has put together is a list of what we call core competencies. And uh, it's it's really a, a picture of what a disciple looks like and what we hope a disciple would look like, what they would think, what they would do, the way their character is formed at First Baptist San Antonio. There's a whole pile of these back in the back. And if you want to look at these, use these for reference, I think it would be really helpful. But one of the three things, there's three things. There's gospel truths, which are what we think, doctrines. There's spirit-formed traits, they're our character, who God is shaping us to be. And they're kingdom rhythms. the rhythms that Christ modeled and rhythms that we regularly live. And so I would make those available to you if, if they're out at the Ask Me desk outside. If you wanted to get those, I think it would be a great resource. A good takeaway to say, okay, I need to put those rhythms in my life and in my heart. 
so that my faith, my worldview would be strengthened. Because what we do know and what we understand is that suffering and pain affects us all. It has, either directly or indirectly, and it will, either directly or indirectly. And a good God will prepare us as he gives and as he takes away.